I, I want you to kind of just, just tell, tell me something. If, do something for me. Just imagine for a moment, just for a moment, right, that this is a conference that you've come to. All right, and maybe it's a financial conference. Maybe you kind of need some help financially, so you've come along to this conference. Maybe it's a career conference, and it's something that you need to get that promotion you want. Maybe you've got a, a family member who's really, really sick, and you've heard about some new treatment that's going to like change their life, and you've gone to hear about that, right? And you've spent, okay, you've spent thousands of pounds. You've saved up and you've spent thousands of pounds to come to the conference to hear like that bit of information, that thing that's going to transform your life. Yeah? Now I want you to, what would you do if that was it? How would you sit? Sit like you would if you just spent a couple of thousand pounds to be here tonight. Seriously, just seriously, just go with me for a moment. Sit like you would if you've just spent a couple of thousand pounds to be here tonight. Yeah? Some of you are moving. Some of you are changing your position. Some of you hopefully are getting some notebooks out. Put your hands up if you've got a notebook with you or something to make some notes with you. So what about the rest of you? Would you have turned up to somewhere where you spent thousands of pounds without any way of, 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 of taking notes? Would you? I wouldn't. There's no way. I don't, I don't trust my memory to sit in a conference where I've spent thousands of pounds to go away and trust that I'm going to remember everything that I've heard. Because my attitude is, even, even every week in church, I make notes. If anyone want, doesn't believe me, want, want to see them, I, I make them all on my device thingy here. And, and I write them all down and I make them and I keep them. And I've got I've got notes going back decades now of, of things that have sat there in a meeting. I've been in some meetings, some church meetings, and they have literally transformed my life. Seriously, numerous meetings that have just changed my life. I've heard something life-changing. I've heard something that I didn't realize, I didn't understand. I've heard someone put it in a way that was new, that was fresh, that just kind of, it clicked, the penny dropped, and I've suddenly gone, that's it, that's a key that's going to unlock a door in my life that's going to get me to somewhere where I want to be, somewhere I need to be, somewhere that's important. Anyone had that experience? Yeah. Now, shout like you've just heard something that's just changed your life. <laughs> Someone in here has just heard something that's going to change their life. Seriously, I'm not, I am trying to whip this up. I'm trying to whip you up because if you'd spent thousands of pounds to be here tonight, you wouldn't sit passively, kind of like just, hey, okay, yeah, let's just kind of Sunday night and, you know, we've got an hour or so and then I'm going to watch the footy when I get home and all of this kind of stuff and tea and I'm thinking about the journey and I've got work in the morning, all of that. You'd be like, forget all that stuff. I'm here tonight. I'm engaged. I'm listening. I want to know what this person, what this speaker has got to say to me that's going to change my life. Come on, that's it. Now shout like you've just heard something that's going to change your life. Because you've just heard something that's going to change your life. When you turn up to church, any church meeting, anywhere, when you go to a prayer meeting, anything like that, turn up like you've spent thousands to get there, like you've paid the ultimate price to get there, like it's, you're desperate to get. Because here's the thing, right? The Bible says what you put in determines what you get out. 
As you sow, so shall you reap. This isn't just down to me. Now I can help you by telling you stuff like I've just done for the last kind of minute or two, but it's down to you whether you engage with it. It's down to you whether you go, do you know what? He's right. Flip, forget that. Come on, let's do it. I'm going to get up on my feet and cheer. I'm going to give it everything. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what happens. I just want to get what I need to get that's going to take me to the next level. Anyone with me? Come on. Tonight's message is called O-P-E. That's the title of the message, O-P-E. Hopefully you can figure out what it stands for as we go along with the message. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Some of you kind of know me well, some of you don't. I, I love, I, I wasn't going to start with this one, but I, I probably should do. I love kind of teaching, I love preaching. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I, a, a guy in this church, uh, he heard that I was a, a, a maths guru or whatever I was really kind of switched on with maths and I was at university and all this kind of stuff and he asked me to go and teach some senior lecturers at the place where he worked and so he asked me to go along and just do a short course and I turned up the first day I'd never taught anyone anything in my life that I was aware of and I turned up and I just kind of gave this lesson on what they'd asked me to give and like I, I, I went home in the car like buzzing I'm like I'm, I'm kind of jumping up and down in the car I'm like oh my goodness what's just happened I've just stood there in front of a load of guys who are maybe 10 20 years older than me and I've taught them and they're engaging and they're going wow that was amazing I never understood that and so I enjoy kind of teaching because I've got I believe I've got a gift for it I believe God told me I've got a gift for it and I enjoy doing it um, I also love, as many of you know, Liverpool Football Club. I, I've just got to get that in. I've got to say that. I love my football club. Do you know what? I love seeing them come out dressed in red. When they're at home in that all red strip, it does something to me. Seriously, I, I've got to admit, I've got to be honest, it does something to me. And as much as you might think I'm passionate here in, at the front of church and maybe stick my hands in front of the air and maybe do a little bit of a bop and a little jiggle and stuff like that, Listen, I used to do far more before I was a Christian when I used to stand on a cop and I never turned, went home from a, a football match without my voice being hoarse. That is no word of a lie. I used to stand on the cop in the 80s and 90s and never went home from a single match without my voice being hoarse. It's true. Anyone know what I'm on about? Anyone kind of followed sport or anything? Any, anyone follow sport in here to that level where you're just so passionate about it? Is it just me? Listen, if you go to, yeah, yeah, there's a few. If you go to a game, there are, listen, you, if you think like this morning was chocker, anyone who was here this morning, it was chocker, and last week in the morning it was chocker, and it's starting to fill up in the night meetings. If you think this is chocker, try going to a football stadium where there's between 50 and 60,000 people there kind of giving it absolutely everything. Think about that for a moment. We should be, shouldn't we be doing that here? If, if, we, if we worship God, if we believe that there is a God that created us, that has saved us, shouldn't we be giving more? Literally, I, I, I determined that. As soon as I became a Christian and, a, and it clicked with me, I determined that. I was like, I, ca I cannot ever give God less than I can to a football team. Yeah? I love curry. Some of you know I love curry. Oh, man. I love curry. Oh, I'm kind of almost salivating now. I love it that much. I mean, anyone been the curry mile? Oh, man. The curry mile in Manchester. I love getting out the car and smelling. 
the smells. It's just like amazing. It's phenomenal. I just, I love the smell and everything. And then last Sunday night, my wife, she knows how much I love curry. And, and she ordered a curry for us last Sunday night. Now, I like either, there's only really two curries I eat. If I go for a curry, I, I literally, I know what I'm going to get. And I get it every single time. And there's only two slight alterations on that. It's do we go for the lamb madras or the lamb vindaloo. That's it. There's no other alternative. That's me. That's what I do. That's what I love. Okay. And Vicky went and got me a chicken vindaloo. Chicken. Chicken. What? I was actually seriously it was like I probably upset her a little bit to be fair if I'm honest and and I think I did apologize um oh she's shaking her head and saying no I think I probably did you just didn't hear it but (laughs) and all the men went yes secretly because if the wives are here um (laughs) yeah come on you know what I'm talking about you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, and she, she got me chicken. And, and it was from a new place. And this Vindaloo, like I like Vindaloo. This blue, it was that hot, I couldn't eat it. <laughs> it was literally that hot, I couldn't eat it. Anyway, why am I saying all of this? I'm saying all this because if there's one thing I don't like, there's lots of things I don't like, all right? But there's one thing I really, really dislike. And it's not Man United. There's one thing I really, really dis- dislike. And that is going to a new restaurant. Anyone know what I'm on about? This is a thing. This is a thing. This isn't just me. And there's like this menu and there's that much stuff you don't know what to pick. Anyone know what I'm on about? And, and I'm like, I'm literally, especially if there's a group of us, you know, maybe two, a couple of couples and we're there. I'm like, mate, I'll, I'll, I'll decide last. I, I just cannot decide. It, it, it messes with my head. All this food. And I, I was thinking about it and figuring out why it is. I know why it is. It's because there's that much stuff on there that I like. I'm, I'm kind of scared of picking the wrong thing and kind of missing out and getting some something maybe that was there was something nicer I could have got and, and missing out and, and one of the reasons to say all of this is because having been a teacher and taught at different levels it, there's so so many people you come across and when you say to them particularly young people and you say hey what do you want to be chatting to a long, young lad recently I was saying hey what, what do you want to do with your life what do you want to be don't know don't know anyone had that feedback don't know. Anyone got teenagers? What do you want to do? You trying to inspire them and don't know. Don't know what I want to do. I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't have the foggiest idea what I wanted to do with my life. I turned up to church for the first time in my early 20s and, and I walked into the meeting and guess what? I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? I didn't know who I was. I didn't know that. I was young and and I I didn't know anything about me. I turned up and it was a problem. It was a problem because I didn't know that I didn't know who I was. Think about that for a moment. I didn't realise that I didn't know who I was. Some of you in here, you don't realise that you don't know who you are. But your heart knows who you are. Your heart knows who you are, but you may not. That might sound odd, that might sound like a strange thing, but I I promise you that's true. Your heart knows who you are because that's its job. Your heart has to know who you are. So if you're sat there thinking, well, hold on, if I don't know who I am, how does my heart know who I am? And then you may be thinking to yourself, how on earth did my heart figure out who I am? 
Well, your heart has figured out who you are and it's just made a decision. It's just made a decision. It's, it's kind of, it took feedback and it's made a decision. It's decided who you are. Who you are. Who are you? Your heart has to know. Why does your heart has to know? Well, one of the scriptures, this is the last in the series of the truth about that we're doing tonight. So I'm privileged to be doing the last one. And I reckon this is perhaps the best one. I reckon this is perhaps the most important one. Vicky's shaking her head. It's on next week. No, we're cancelling next week. We'll do something else next week. <laughs> I reckon this is the most important topic. Who you are. Who are you? Why are you here? What is your purpose in life? What is your calling? Your heart knows, but you may not. Some of you may know, some of you may not. I would guess many of you don't. But your heart decided a long, long time ago. Proverbs 4.23, I've mentioned in a couple of these uh, messages we've done on this, says this, guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart above all else. They're powerful words. We've talked about them before. Above all else, guard your heart. Of all the things, some of you are thinking about your health. Some of you are thinking, oh, I've got to look after myself. I might need to lose a bit of weight. I might need to sort out that gym membership. I might need to kind of eat more greens and get more at me five a day. Then it went to seven a day. Apparently now it's even 10 a day. I mean, you wouldn't eat anything but veg, would you, the way it's kind of going. But some of you are thinking about all of this kind of stuff. You may be thinking about your careers and, and different things. Maybe you're thinking, about your pensions and your finances maybe you're thinking about your kids bible says guard your heart above all else above everything else your heart is more important than any of those things and anything else you could be thinking of that's in proverbs 4 23 and it gives the reason why it says before because it determines the course of your life your heart determines the course of your life so if you think about this, your heart knows who you are, you may not, it's decided that, okay, and it is determining the course of your life. That sounds important to me, I don't know about you, anyone else think that's pretty crucial stuff here that we need to be dealing with and sorting out, yeah, no? You've just spent a couple of thousand pounds to be here tonight, what do you think? Is this speaking to anyone in here tonight? Yeah. The measure you give is the measure you'll get back. So how did your heart decide who you are? How did it come to that conclusion? Well, it, it come to that conclusion, probably there's a number of possibilities, all right? Could have been your parents. Could have been school. Could have been your mates at school. Could have been your teachers at school. It could have been, what's that show that's on in the morning that's really awful where they shout at each other and they have really awful lives? What, yeah. Jeremy Kyle. It could have been Jeremy Kyle. Please, please, God, don't let it. No, it may have been, but let's hope it's not. And if it is, let's help. Fact is, there are lots of possibilities for how your heart has determined who you are. Could have been work colleagues, could have been a boss, could have been anyone, literally. It could have been yourself. You might have made a guess at it. You might have threw a dart in the wall and gone, I'm going to do that. That's going to be my course. It may have been just chance. It literally could have been just chance. You're like, well, I just kind of ended up in this job. I ended up doing this and kind of this is just who I am. This is where I am. I just happened to be born in Warrington or in the Northwest. Listen, I don't believe in chance. I don't believe in chance. 
that's not on the table for me. But the Bible says, who can know the heart? It's hidden, but it's still there. The fact that it's hidden, the fact that it doesn't say you can't know it, but it says who can know it. It's not an easy thing. It's not a thing that many people even consider or think about. But it is crucially important when you think that it's determining the course of your life. You think you're doing that. You think you're determining the course of your life and your heart's doing it. Anyone with me? You think you're in control. You're not. Anyone tried to diet and struggled? You think you're in control. You're not. Anyone try to change an aspect of your life? Maybe get more organised. Maybe keep the bedroom tidy. Maybe kind of, you know, get the kids on board with something. You think you're in control? You're not. Bible says your heart determines. It determines the course of your life. And we've saved this message. This message is all about, we want to look at, God is explaining to you, who you used to be and who you were born to be. If you've got a Bible with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Anyone ever heard that phrase? Just give it to me straight. Anyone just want it straight tonight? No messing around. Let's just get to it. Just tell me as it is. This is the Apostle Paul, God inspiring him to tell you as it is tonight. These aren't my words. These are the Bible's words. This is, this is a book that men have lived by, women have lived by for thousands of years. People have, have given their life for it to be translated, for it to be, to be in our hands, that we may have it, that we may have access to it. People have, have studied it. There's more books written about the Bible than any other book on the planet. It's the most successful selling book on the planet, so much so that they don't include it in the best sellers list list because nothing else would even come near it I did a visual once on it and if you did a bar chart and the bible was up here right everything else would be down there in terms of the other top 10 bestsellers of all time if you think that Harry Potter book is really successful it doesn't even get it doesn't even come near on the scale if the bible was up here from there to there Harry Potter would be down there and all the other books down there This is an incredible, life-changing book. Some of the most, it's the most quoted book on earth. And it starts off in Ephesians 2. Paul says this, he says, once you were dead. Now what's he talking about there? Is he meaning like before you were born? Is he meaning like, say, before you were conceived, you were dead at that point and then you were kind of not? Maybe he's talking about reincarnation. He's not talking about any of those things. That is not what he means. He means you were dead, as in, have you ever used that phrase? He's he's just dead. He's dead. He's lost it. He's gone. He means that. You were dead. Your life was a mess. That's what Paul says. That's what the Bible says. Once you were dead. It's gone off. Get it back on. And it tells us why. It says, because of your disobedience and your many sins. This is the Bible now not me because of your disobedience and your many sins you were dead you just didn't know it at the time 
You thought you were alive. You thought you were doing great things and loving life. And it was brilliant. And I've had that experience. And I look back and I think I was dead and I didn't know it. I didn't have a clue. I didn't realize at the time. He says, you used to live in sin. In other words, sin, let's just define sin for a moment. Sin is basically doing anything that is contrary to what God would want you to do with your life for his plans. So you think about a a worldview that says, God, he created the world. That's my belief. It's not just a worldview, that's my belief. Sin is saying, okay, so there is a creator and I'm just going to do the opposite of what he wants me to do. It's going to do that. That's sin. Simple as that. Disobedience. Used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Yeah, did you you hear that? Obeying the devil. The command of the powers in the unseen world. Think about this for a moment, right? Some of you in here tonight may have kind of, maybe you've been a Christian for a number of years and maybe you've, you, you, you came to church at one time and then something happened and you stopped coming for whatever reason. Maybe you just kind of stopped in that relationship with God and, and you might say, well, I, I was still a Christian. Well, God says we should be coming to church. That's what he says. He says, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves. So God's plan is that we are planted and a part of a church because he knows how important it is. We were created to live in, 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 in fellowship, in, in family, to do it together, to be there for each other, to be supporting each other. So some of you might say, some of you might be in a situation where you might go, well, I, I kind of was away from church. I wasn't going. I maybe even kind of turned my back on, on God and I was wanting to do things my own ways and some of you who have been in that situation you would never have done a Ouija board anyone? anyone know what I'm on about? you'd have never gone to a clairvoyant or anything like that you'd have never gone and, and worshipped the devil you wouldn't have done anything like that no? you'd have been horrified even but, but listen you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He's the one. He's the the one at the source of all of that. All disobedience to God, he's at the heart of it. He's doing it. Paul's telling it as it is here. He's pulling no punches. He's not messing around. He's getting down to the crux of it. But here it is. Here's how it is if you're outside of God's plan for your life and then obeying the devil. It says in verse 3, all of us used to live that way. All of us at some point used to live that way. We didn't know who we were and we didn't know that we didn't know who we were. But someone did and he was manipulating and controlling your life and you didn't even realise it. It's not so outlandish really, is it, when you think about it? Doesn't, it's not difficult to get your head around, is it? If you believe in God, he's, he's, he has an enemy. You only have to look at this, the, the state of the world and the problems in the world to see that there's an enemy out there trying to reap, ha, wreak havoc. Think about Hitler and what he did in World War II. Just pure evil. 
And you could go on and on and on. And on and on and on. So much. But it says, all of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature... Our very nature is our sinful nature. Listen to this again. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Then full stop, by our very nature, he means that sinful nature, because that is our very nature. That's our nature. That's our natural state. That's our natural kind of inclination. My natural state is not to get up first thing in the morning at 6am and go to the gym and work out. But hey, this body doesn't happen all on its own. and <laughs> It needs a bit of work. Sometimes I have to get up off the sofa and do a bit of work and you know, just get it in tune and in shape and stuff like that. But that's not my natural inclination. My sinful nature is just to sit on the couch and eat food and watch the telly and just kind of, I would do that all day and I don't know, I'd do all kinds of stuff. It's just how it is. And we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Powerful words, eh? Powerful words. Anyone think that's powerful? Come on, you spent a couple of grand to be here tonight. Come on. It's a lot of money. Maybe you've got a couple of grand to just throw away. Send it in this direction. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Verse 4. But God. But God. The word but in the English language, I've said this many, many times. You know, the word but basically means that everything before it is as important as it may have been is nothing compared to what comes next. Anyone remember talks about the but reversal in the past? Yeah? So when someone comes to you and they say, oh, I love you, but, you know, I, I think you, you, you're like this. And you go, oh, you think I'm like this, but you love me. Let's turn it round. Let's turn it round. I love you, but, yeah, yeah, but what you're about to say. Let's turn that round. Let's put it in the right order. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When? Come on. You spent, you spent thousands and that's the best clap you could. That's like a slow clap you do when, when... Come on, that's more like it. Come on. Please, if you're going to clap, right, don't do the whole slow clap that you do when someone's cut you up in the car and you go. <laughs> Come on, well done, mate. Come on, let's give it a bit of passion. I'm, I'm doing it here. If I was being kind of half-hearted, you do it. I want to be passionate here. I am being passionate here. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. He gave us life. He's given you life. Life. You have it. Life. That's what he's done for you. He's given you life. And he explains it. He says he did it when he raised Christ from the dead. 
This is how he redeemed you back. Now I know that word redeem, it's not necessarily a word we use very much now. But we used to have pawnbrokers. They used to be all over the place. I know we perhaps still do. And what you would do is with a piece of property, you would go and you'd take it to the pawnbrokers. You'd take your ring if you were struggling for money. And you'd say, hey listen, I need some money. If I give you my ring, will you give me some money? And this is on the promise that I can come and get it back. And he says, yeah, I'll take that ring. Let's have a look at it. I'll give you 50 pence for that ring. And so he he gives you the 50 pence. And and what he says is, if you come back, you can buy it back. If you don't, I'm just going to keep your ring. And then I'll sell it on and do whatever with it. And when you wanted that back, that thing that was once yours, that's now been taken away from you, you would go and you would redeem it. You'd pay the price to get it back. And that's what Jesus did. That's what God did when he sent Christ to die on the cross. It's not some kind of furry story. It's not some kind of just nice story, some metaphor, some analogy to give you a good idea of what God might have done. God did this. He said to his son, his one and only son, his beloved son, he said, listen, will you go and die for those people to win them back? Because they're so valuable. That's the only price that will get them back. He bought you back. He redeemed you. He paid the ultimate price to win your life back, your dead life, to win it back so that you could have life, life in its fullness, true life, real life, an abundant life, a great life of blessing, a life where you could never fail, a life where you you could live an amazing transformational life that meant something. That at the end of it, you can die with a smile on your face, as I was talking about last Sunday morning. I've run the race. I've done it. I can rest now. For he raised us from the dead, just like he did Christ. He raised you from the dead, just like he did for Christ. He didn't just raise you from the dead. He raised you from the dead along with Christ and then seated you with him. As powerful and as great as Christ is, Paul says he seated you with him. With him. You have power. You have more power than you could imagine. So why aren't you using it? Why are some of us living A life where we feel it's as if we've got no power whatsoever. As if we're powerless. As if we're at the mercy of others and situations and circumstances. As if we could fail. As if we could get it wrong. We shouldn't be. There's no reason for it. An enemy has sown seeds in your heart and has made you believe that you're something that you're not. But you're not what the enemy is trying to get you to believe you are. You're greater than that. You're powerful. You're amazing. You are a son, a daughter of the living God. You are powerful. You have great power. You have as much power as Christ did when he was on the earth. And if you're thinking, well, he raised from the dead. The Bible says, if you just read it, so have you. Because you were dead. And you've been raised to life. 
For he's raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. It says in verse 8, God saved you by his grace. That's unmerited favour. You couldn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But he saved you, his free gift of love to you. He saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So you know what? If you've messed up, say you got saved a few years ago and you sat there all, woe is me, I've messed up. A bit like, what's that character off um, Winnie the Pooh? And he talks really slow. And he all, and I've messed up. And I'm so bad. And I've got it all wrong again. Oh no, woe is me. That's not it, is it? Is that it? Sorry, my, my own here. Is that it? <laughs> is that it? Is that it? Is that how it is? Not at all. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. You cannot fail. You cannot fail. You cannot fail. Because it's not a reward. You didn't earn it. So it doesn't matter if you've messed up since. You didn't earn it in the first place. So you can't mess it up. You can only try and walk away from it. Not quite sure how that works out, but hey, we won't go. That's one maybe for another message. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. You're like the Mona Lisa, only better looking. <laughs> Come on. You're like Van Gogh's sunflowers. You're worth millions. In fact, you're worth that much. You can't put a monetary price on it. You are, you couldn't replace you. You are irreplaceable. You're unique, of unique value. You are no one else like you in the whole world. You are unique. You are alone. But one, but a part of this great creation and this great body of Christ. And why? For he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. He's done it for a reason. Because he's got good things planned for you, good things planned for me. So who are you? Who are you? Who really are you? Who are you? You better decide. You better tell your heart. Do you know, you're the gatekeeper of your heart. Have you thought about that? You're the gatekeeper of your heart. That's why it's important what you listen to. That's why it's important what you watch. You're the gatekeeper of your heart. You know what I was saying at the beginning? That, hey, well, how has your heart decided who you are? Shall I tell you some of the ways the heart really decides who you are? Anyone figured it out yet? OPE. Other people's expectations. Other people's expectations. Your heart desperately needs to know who you are. That's its job. Its job is to determine the course of your life. So if you don't tell it, 
If you don't tell it who you are, it just has to seek it out. So it listens. It just listens to whoever you put in front of you. If you put that guy on the, what's his name again, on the, on the morning show, the, Jeremy Carl. If you put Jeremy Carl in front of you and you listen to him, your heart goes, oh, okay, we must be like them. That's what we must be like. Or you watch EastEnders and you see them all going at each other and, hey, Phil, and, and all of that stuff. And you go, oh, that must be the way I must live my life. Or you, you, maybe, maybe you've had some people who've told you some terrible things. You're nothing, you're nobody, you can't go anywhere, you can't do anything. And maybe you've believed that, maybe you've listened to that, and you've allowed that to go in. Maybe you were too young to do anything about it. Lots of people have had that experience in their life. But guess what? You can change that. You can rewrite the story. You can speak to your heart. You can take in the truth. You can say, that's lies. That's not the truth. That's not who I am. I am a child of God. I am valuable. I am special. I was created. I am God's masterpiece. I am here for great things. I am here because God has paid the ultimate price for me. He wants me to do great things for him. You can tell your heart the truth. You can rewrite the story. Church, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because it determines the course of your life. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who, you, who you're allowing to speak into your life. Listen to people who are building you up who will tell you truth. Read the Word of God. Get around people who are for you. But don't live your life by OPE, by other people's expectations. Ask God. Ask Him. Ask Him what, who you are. Who you are. I know that you're a child of God, but there's more than that. He's created us all unique with specific purposes. We're all like a piece of jigsaw that fits into the whole. Ask Him what your plan and your calling and your giftings are. Ask Him to tell you. Ask Him to reveal it to you. Ask Him to show you. Live by His expectations for your life, not others. Not those around you, not the telly, not the daily mail or any of those things. Live by God's expectations, God's standards. God's standards. Whose standards are you living your life by? Do you even have any? Guess what? You do. You do. But if you haven't chosen them yourself, then you're living by OPE. Other people's expectations of, of what your standards should be, how you should live your life, what you should do. Choose this day. Choose this day, Joshua said to the assembly of Israel. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen.